The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. This morning, we are in a series of, of the Psalms, and the one that the Lord laid on my heart is one that's been important to me over the years. I've read it many, many times, but the more I dug into this one, um, it's just uh, meant more and more. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the, of course, the spiritual portion of it, the context, the historical part, and then bring it all back together. But this is a... Um, this is what's referred to as a sheltering psalm. It is a psalm that we turn to and have turned to in the past for, for in times of really dramatic trouble in our lives, a song of hope. But one thing, and I don't think he's here today, he's online. Uh, Pastor Evans, a few weeks ago, brought forth his message on Psalm 143. And his was a message of hope. And I don't know if he peeked at my notes or maybe vice versa, but um, there's maybe some things that cross over, and I think that uh, we'll, we'll all benefit. I know that I will benefit, and uh, I would also like to do something that we've done in the past, but do something to kick this thing off to, um, for everybody to just stand who can stand for, the re for me to read the word? And then you can be seated right after that. So Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war seas to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So, as the scriptures say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you may be seated while I pray over us. So, Father, this morning I just pray as we read this psalm, there are ears that need to hear it. I know that I need to hear from you this morning and that you speak through me. You speak your words straight from the Bible that is written in um, just so that we can um, glean something from it. And I know you will speak, and you're going to give us tremendous comfort and hope 
in this psalm as we uh, conclude it and go from this place today. Amen. So I have to ask you, right now, how do you feel after reading the psalm? Do you get a sense of hope, some comfort, and maybe guidance on what to do when trouble comes? This psalm historically reflects a time when Israel needed major hope and comfort. And Israel certainly was no stranger to trouble. And as long as you and I are alive, at some point in our life, either in the past, present, or future, we will face adversity. Now, where do you turn when you're in trouble or face adversity? There is certainly no shortage of it today. Just look around. Don't go to Facebook or Twitter. But wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, tornadoes, mass shootings, cities being burned down, financial trouble, government economic collapse, interest rates out of control, 401ks that in, in my case have dropped almost 50%. We went through COVID. Some people are still experiencing that. We have chaos at our border. Red state, blue state, purple state, orange state, political turmoil, drug use epidemic. We have 100,000 lives that blow me away, and this is 2,000 in one statistics that have been lost from fentanyl being smuggled through Mexico from China. These are all horrible, frightening events, aren't they? And at times can result in feeling and hopeless, and perhaps that this is even the end, the end of time. However, today, this message is not going to be about any particular view of eschatology. This message is not about the end of time, but rather a message of hope. Now, there is some disagreement among biblical scholars. You might have a note in your Bible that this was written by the sons of Korah or some other notation in there that they may refer to in referring to it metaphorically. But the more I looked into it, and I believe that most scholars conclude that this is actually a psalm of rejoicing. It's a psalm to commemorate what a mighty God did for his people at a particular time in history. And Dr. Robert Godfrey, and this is a great book, in Learning to Love the Psalms, states that Psalm 46 is a song that, reflect, that reflects the great strength that flows to God's people from their faith in the strength of God. The song celebrated God's deliverance of his people and particularly his defense of Jerusalem. In verse 4, it says, The city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And it says that the powerful presence of God is there in Jerusalem. 
the Lord of hosts is with us. And the historic, the scholars that are the historians do believe that this particular historical incident did inspire Psalm 46. And the most likely candidate for the Lord's deliverance of Jerusalem was from the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, the commander of the Syrian army. He was in the process of attacking uh, Jerusalem and insisted on the surrender of this, the city. He had already destroyed the northern kingdom and everything else in his path. So let me set this scene, and then we're going to dig into it. And I'm going to use uh, the Bible to comment on this particular event, and we'll wrap it all up at the end, bring it all together. The year happened to be 701 B.C. when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, began his rampage against the people of God. And things looked really bleak because, especially Jerusalem, they knew about what he had done to the northern kingdom. But he was an expansionist, leading his large army, and it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 186,000, but he was leading this army on a rampage. And those people in the northern kingdom had either already been killed or held captive. And Sennacherib was on his way to Egypt, and standing in his way was this little kingdom of Judah and the walled city of Jerusalem. Now, at that point in time, and we'll see in 2 Kings what was going on here in a moment, the Assyrian army began to taunt and blaspheme God. However, at the time of this rampage, Hezekiah was king of Judah, and he was assisted by two great prophets that we read about, and that was Isaiah and Micah. And he also did something that was very important during this time. He led his people back to a great revival. He reinstated the Passover, and he made the temple a place of worship again. But Sennacherib continued to, defaunt, continued to taunt the defenders of the city. And we'll see as it is noted in 2 Kings 18. And just bear with me here, 32 through 35. They're not long verses. And do not listen to Hezekiah, he's quoting the taunters, when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nation ever delivered his hand out of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Hena and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among you, all the gods of the lands, have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Now, I have an interesting side note um, on this uh, that I did not realize was going to come to this this point at that particular time, but in 2016, Teresa and I were blessed to go on a two-week-long walking tour of Israel, and at that time, I happened to be in a little bit better shape, so I could get around, 
we went to one part of, from one part of the country to the other. And it's been said, and it's really true, if you ever happen to go there, that when you come back, every page in the Bible just really turns into living color. But as a part of this story of Psalm 66, our first stop happened to be at Tel Lachish. Now, some of you probably know that a tell is just simply a mound of dirt that a community has established themselves upon. These things are all over. And at some point in time, that community may die because of disease or war or whatever may be. And then years later, whatever, another community will come in and be built and build their city up around it. And these tells are all over, both small and large. Well, in Tel Lachish, it was a fairly large uh, facility. It was uh, a fortress. It had an archway. The archaeologists were just beginning to excavate it at that time. And what was, what was really cool in response to Psalm 46 and what I'm going to be going through today is that the acts of Sennacherib were etched both on the outer walls and on the inner walls of the atrocities that he committed against the northern kingdom and everybody in his past. I'm not going to go describe those today, but look into them. You'll, you'll just be absolutely shocked. It was, it was incredible. I had no idea at the time that I would be talking about it today. So picture this again. Sennacherib was advancing in the walled city of Jerusalem, and it's estimated, I don't know for sure, but that Jerusalem had only about 6,000 occupants of this huge army that was coming upon him. And they were, they were paralyzed, the people of Jerusalem, just beyond comprehension, if you can imagine that. Uh, however, Hezekiah was a good king, and he was a godly king. And we note in 2 Kings 18 again, uh, defining Hezekiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. Now, this is where it gets interesting, too just physically what he did. As this huge army is getting closer to Jerusalem, the occupants in Hezekiah knew 
that the first thing that would happen, and you'll read about this, but not in detail in the scripture, that, but the first thing the enemy would do would be to cut off the water supply in order to just starve out the city and defeat it sooner, right? So what did Hezekiah do? He turned to the Lord for guidance. And the Lord instructed him to build a tunnel to the spring of Gehan, which is a large spring that's, uh, I think, somewhat underground, so the armed Syrian army didn't recognize that it was there, to, um, to supply the city of Jerusalem. Now, here's what's incredible, and we were, we were able to experience this as well. Hezekiah began at two separate points, one inside the city and one to the spring, and he cut into solid granite, and the tunnel met in the same place. It was 1,774 feet long, and to this day, no one knows how it was accomplished. I think I do. I think it was the Lord, right? Amen on that one. Uh, incredible engineering feat, and Teresa and I walked through that. You had to put your backpack on in the front and bend over in the tunnel to get through it. Now, of course, the water was not raging through it at that time, but you could see the etchings and how they cut through the rock, and when they... You could see the point at which it turned and where it was completed. Um, but we did walk through that, and just incredible. So Hezekiah, he got the water, uh, water supply restored, so that was half of it. But the Lord is going to take care of the rest of it, as we will see. So Hezekiah continued to work, and he prayed. And the Bible says on hearing these taunts, they continued, he pleaded with the Lord to vindicate his name. The Lord prayed before him and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. And in response to this prayer, the prophet sent Isaiah to reassure Hezekiah about these words that were addressed to Sennacherib. And he said, because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David." And come to find out that very night, the Lord sent the Lord of hosts as his angel of death to destroy much of the Assyrian army and forcing it to withdraw. By the dawn of the next morning, Jerusalem was safe. 
And due to this defeat, Sennacherib was eventually assassinated by his sons. Now, one interesting other verse that I won't get into here, but read it sometime. They say that the inhabitants of Jerusalem look over the walls the next morning, and they said, all of the corpses are dead. And I kind of looked at that when I was reading through, and I said, I thought corpses were dead, or dead were corpses, right? But look at that and see if you can figure it out and get back to me. <laughs> Uh, but it's, um, it's, it's a, th- this whole historical context is really interesting. So think of this psalm. Psalm 46 encourages confidence. We have confidence today in God in the face of monumental trouble. And for many, many years, we've turned to this psalm, both Christian and Jew, in times of trouble. I read somewhere where it's been translated into most of the languages around the world and many, many translations in um, English. There is no other book in the Bible that describes the human experience better than the Psalms. When we face difficulty, as we talk, we turn to the Psalms. There's words here to describe what we're feeling. Here we understand we are not alone in our trouble. Here in this Psalm, we find that there is hope before the storm. We find that a story has already been, been written before it ever occurred. It's incredible. In times of trouble, think about these things. What has God done in your past, in your life? What is he doing now? And what will he do in the future? And relate it back to the psalm. So bear with me a minute. And people from this pulpit have said that they geek out from time to time, so I've been geeking out. I'm going to do a little bit more. This was Martin Luther's favorite psalm, and of course, you're familiar with the mighty fortress is our God, and this is, um, this is from Dr. Stephen Lawson that made these comments. He wrote, he said that uh, Martin Luther happened to write this psalm, a mighty fortress is our God, when bubonic, bubonic plague was raging the countryside. He, Martin Luther, was conflicted on whether he should leave or stay and minister to the people. His son was even sick, and they don't even know if he passed or not. But Martin Luther, thank God, made the decision to stay and turned his home into a hospital. And it was during this time that he was moved to write, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He turned to God for strength. In fact, at his funeral, his confidant and um, friend, friend, his right-hand man, Philip Melikathon, if I said that right, Teresa, he conducted the service, and Martin Luther's, um, what Martin Luther wanted done was that Psalm 46 be sung at the end through a mighty fortress. In fact, the first line of this song is, st- is inscribed to, to this day if you were happen to go to Wittenberg and, and it's in, in the archway before his tomb. But just reading the psalm brings blessings. Spurgeon says that God, God never withdraws from his affected people. He's more present than friend or relatives can be. Yes, more present than the trouble itself. So we're going to learn three important spiritual principles from this psalm. When trouble comes, God is our refuge. It says it outright. 
When trouble comes, we rediscover our strength in God. And then three, God redirects our thoughts. He sends a river of blessing to his people. So retreat to your refuge. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Our times of trouble turn to your refuge. It is safe. It is strong. It is secure. It is solid. And it is our shelter for our protection. The second part out of three of this psalm is about rediscovering our strength. And it says that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. How do we rediscover our strength? What do we do? We turn to the Bible. We remember what God has done in the past. It's all in here. We ponder his miracles. It's in here, right? Um, we think of, and then we think about what he's going to do in the future. And number three, he redirects our thoughts. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars seize at, to the end of the spear. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Explanation point. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob, our fortress. But what we have to do, and this is hard for me to do, although I'm learning, we're trying to relearn this. We have to be still to find our purpose in God. We have to review the words of the Lord. We reclaim the words of the Lord. Just be quiet long enough to hear God. And I'm saying that to me. It's difficult to do with all the, with this hamster cage mind that I have that's all this noise that is going and coming from everywhere, right? Stay, turn the TV off. We did that this week and had time to actually talk and um, stay off Facebook. You don't read about all this mess. But in summarizing that, what we do is we retreat to your refuge. We rediscover our strength. And we redirect our thoughts by being by being still to do everything. Yes. Hard to do. So that's some reading, reading that to myself and I've read the psalm to myself. So it's so cool, the historic context, the spiritual context, everything else. So when you have time, go back and read it. So in summary, 
and I'm actually going to come out on time. So um, I thought I might go over an hour, hour and a half. No. Um, <laughs> promise not to. There's a really good devotion that I've been reading already, but um, the context of it really, really came in. 52 weeks through the Psalms. It's by a gentleman by the name of James Merritt. So let me read that as we close our service today. And what James Merritt says is, Take refuge, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And he says that this verse does not invite us to the inaction of releasing our cares, but to the action of redoubling our confidence. Being still is a call to surrender more than it is a call to contemplate. We surrender our hopes, our efforts, and our aggressions to God. And we do this because we know Him. We know He is strong. We know He is present. He's present here right now. We know he sustains, saves, and speaks for our good and for the good of the world. We can take refuge in God's presence, God's peace, and God's protection. But we must also surrender to God's plan. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is the plan of our Almighty God. No matter how deeply humans think they're in control, God triumphs over all. God will come out on top, and we can exult in his exaltation. God's plan is certain. God's plan is fail-proof. We can live within it as refugees of grace, and know that he, it will succeed. When everything that used to be right is now completely wrong, we can take refuge in the presence, peace, protection, and plan of God. And he concludes by saying trouble usually results in our trying to figure out what to do to get past the adversity. While that's certainly important, what we often forget in our haste to find an end to our solution is to be still, word again, and know that he is God. He reigns. His eyes are not closed to our problems, nor does he refuse to hear our pleas for help. But when we are still before God, waiting in faith for his solution, we gather strength. But when we run about without consulting the Lord, our spiritual strength is often depleted. Good soldiers know when to advance, but they also know when to take refuge. In our case, we take refuge in God and his sovereignty, trusting him through every hardship or worrisome decision. He will come through for us. He always does. <laughs>